So I have a prayer that I want to lead off with. I don't know what you all do for your um, rhythm of intimacy with Jesus during the day, but I have two apps that I use in addition to some other incidental um, and spontaneous things that the Lord does. And one of them is Lectio 365. I don't know if you know those guys. Uh, That's Pete Grieg and the 24-7 prayer movement. Phenomenal. It's the best devotional app in the universe right now. It really is. And that's not overselling it. And then being Anglican, some of you are like, what is the deal with the collar? We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, Long before I transferred my ordination into into the Anglican tribe so that I could help them learn to be missionaries again, um, the, the Book of Common Prayer has shaped me. And one of the things that evangelicals at large don't have is any kind of systemic, rhythmic tool that helps them come into union with God in prayer and in the Scripture. So we end up going to the Christian bookstore and trying to find the latest Beth Moore thing or Kim Walker Smith or whatever. Uh, these are, this is an ancient tool It's 500 years old, filled with scripture, filled with beautiful prayer. It's ministered to a number of us in this room. I won't call them out so that you won't accuse them of being liberal heretics or anything. Is that okay, Pastor Charlie? It's really good. Okay, awesome. Charlie's in charge, right? Wasn't that a show back in the day, Charles in Charge? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I got a little more white in the grizzle, man, in the muzzle here. So, yeah. So this was from this morning's Lectio 365. The next three weeks are about discovering pilgrimage afresh. And what we've talked about this week is really all about pilgrimage. And pilgrimage is a biblical motif from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So it's imperative that we kind of get, a, kind of get an understanding of this, or else you will be lulled into complacency and your life will look no different than the pre-Christian and pagan people around you. And we all know that, and we all struggle with it. So I'm going to give you a couple of tools today as we reflect on the Scripture. They're not unique to me. You know, they're not even unique to evangelicals. As you can tell, I'm kind of into the fact that Jesus has had a church for 2,000 years. He did not take a nap after the Bible was written until the Baptists came on the scene, gang. I are one. And I'm not picking on you. And everybody else feels the same way. And as I said before, C.S. Lewis said uh, about 75 years ago that there's a propensity to despise the ancient because we're enraptured with the current. Well, there's much of what God's doing currently that's really good and we should applaud. But... A lot of us have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and we've never been exposed to the rich treasures of the gospel as they've been revealed in people in different traditions than our own who've preceded our own movements who we stand on their shoulders. You tracking with me? Some of you are like, this guy's off the deep end already. I'm going to push you a little bit today because I love you and it's what Jesus told me to do. So, this is something from this morning that is going to encourage you as we get ready to dive in here robustly. 
and I gotta, it's gonna take me a minute because I've got a hundred photos of me and Eric. One of his sons took a hundred in like three seconds. I don't know, I don't know how that happened. I'm gonna have to take three hours to go through them all to find the one where he and I actually look good. So, it'd be easier for you though. You know, you look good in all of them, bro. Okay, here's our prayer of approach as we get ready to enter in. And man, we've been skillfully led uh, into the throne room already. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it about the gospel today, right? And we'll, uh, we'll understand a little bit more of that in just a minute. So take whatever posture you want to and close your eyes, open your eyes, do whatever. We're going to pray and then we're going to move in quickly and seamlessly into what the Spirit uh, is going to do. High King of Heaven, we have set our hearts on pilgrimage. Prepare us today, we pray, on this your holy Sabbath to follow in the footsteps of your Son and servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the fire that burned in his heart be kindled again in ours. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so just by means of introduction, I think most of you know who I am. Um, Yeah, I live in South Florida. This is actually my anniversary today. This is how much I loved you guys. So that's what I was doing over there. I promise I wasn't surfing the internet. I was telling my wife I loved her and I was really sorry I wasn't home, but I'll see her tonight. So she sends her greetings and she's my ministry partner and colleague. She, uh, She and I, shepherd a digital church that meets on zoom with no budget whatsoever people from all over the country we call it anam Kara abbey so i serve as the abbot and she serves as the abbess and if you don't know what those terms mean hit them on the google machine afterwards and get yourself an education i'll skip to the chase basically we have spiritual mothers and fathers here who are interested in learning how to press into experiencing more of your identity, capacity, and destiny, or you wouldn't be here today. No matter how, what a great job I did selling it and dangling the carrot yesterday afternoon, right? You want to live with joy and purpose on mission with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of me belongs to all of Him, so all of Him belongs to me as well. Some of us come from liberal traditions. Some of us come from charismatic traditions. Many of us come from Jesus traditions. Even that title is prejudicial, by the way. We want all of them, and we're going to encounter all of them today. So there's a, as a spiritual father of mine once famously said, some of the stuff that I'm about to say is worth writing down, so please do so, okay? So you have permission to capture some of this. I will tell you this, if the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart and it's burning, it's because he wants you to process it, not just nod your head and continue to drink your coffee. Going to be direct, I'm from the Northeast. We don't beat around the bush and tell nine stories to get to the point. I apologize to Southerners if I just hurt your feelings. That's why I'm attached to the Boston Diocese and not the Orlando one. Though, (laughs) Though it's actually New York down in Orlando now at this point, but... Yeah, you got to tell nine stories before anybody will tell you what they really think. Get grown white over here waiting for us to get to the point. Good night. So I'm going to get to the point, okay? So I have a military background. I served in the Marines more years ago than I care to remember. We got some Marines in the room. 
Um, one of the things that we had to use in the days before computers, whoa, <laughs> yeah, I am that old, uh, is you needed to learn how to use a compass. Does anybody know what a compass is? It's that little doohickey that the Boy Scouts used to use before everybody got one of these to find out where they were going. And you had to, find, you had to shoot an azimuth. You needed to, to learn some orienteering skills so that you could get to the place where you needed to be on time so you could execute the mission. So I'm going to introduce a tool to you, and I call it the compass. It's really become the orienting metaphor of my life. So are you ready? A compass has four cardinal directions. Four cardinal directions, okay? I don't want to confuse any of you who math wasn't your forte. North, east, south, west, right? And I think the, the fully orbed Christian life really exists in those four quadrants, and I'm going to walk you through them. If you want to argue with me, that's fine. Save it till afterwards because I don't want to embarrass you in front of all your friends, okay? First, the Word of God. That's our North Star, right? Um, I, come, I come up in the Bible, people, you know? They taught me to know the Word of God and to love Jesus Christ, and I'm very thankful. We didn't do anything else besides that, but we got those things right. Great foundation. Some of you come from those traditions, too. And then, rather inconveniently, the Lord interrupted me with his spirit. And some of you are on that trajectory. Some of you were touched by his spirit in the prayer uh, experiences last night. If that made you uncomfortable in all the right ways, press in and ask Father what he's trying to teach you. Because he's a kind and generous and listening parent in a way in which none of you all are. Me either. So, yeah, he interrupted me with his spirit. And I came face to face with the fact that I had this great seminary degree from an incredibly reputable seminary. And I'd had all these experiences and all of it. And I had never, I had an underdeveloped experience and theology of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's true of you today, too. What did the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit? How should the Holy Spirit be part of my life? And that's been a wild, you want to talk about wild Jesus? You know, the, the ancient Celts called the Holy Spirit the wild goose. Have you ever heard of the wild goose chase? Well, I'm on a wild goose chase, gang. And it's been exciting. As the, as the scripture's been illumining and revealing and changing me. So word, spirit, that's your, your eastern designator. East, uh, yeah, east. I got three hours of sleep tonight, so bear direction. with me, gang. What? Direction. East direction. Eastern, yeah, the direction. Yeah. Word, spirit. And then I discovered mission. And some of you, or missionality, whatever word you want to use, some of you today are on a missional quest. And I'm going to give you a hard word right now. Stop shopping around and do what God's told you to do. Stop listening to everybody else's voice, Ed Stetzer, uh, Rick Warren, whoever, and start listening to the voice that can tell you how to contextualize your ministry and do it where you're planted. You tracking with me, gang? Because none of these guys, not even me or Aaron or Charlie or Dave or whoever, can tell you what you need to know. But the Holy Spirit can open your ears to the voice of God and 
using the practice of divine governance where we together listen, we can discern what we're supposed to do. Get after it. You don't have to have all the knowledge completely before you execute task. If you take that approach, you'll never do anything except go from this class to that conference to this podcast to whatever. It's exhausting. And we're going to talk about what Jesus has to say about rest and abiding, and it's pretty simple, kind of like the gospel. Kind of like the gospel. And then for me, the fourth uh, direction is sacrament. And a lot of us have different words for the same ontological realities. That's a fancy theological name for the way things really are. Baptism, it's a mystery. Communion, it's a mystery. That word's used frequently in the New Testament, yet because of where we live and where we've been educated, we want to explain and tease everything out to the nth degree. Stop it, to quote Bob Newhart. You guys seen that uh, little video snippet? I'm going to be Bob Newhart for a moment. Stop it! I'm not going to bury you in a box, though. Don't worry about that. You're never going to figure it all out. You're going to have to release control and release your slavish subservience to the intellect. Wow. The Lord said that to me one time. So that you can walk in the fullness of all that he has for you. So whatever you want to call these things, there's this beautiful mystery that we've been invited into to share together as friends, to use Mike's word from yesterday, and family. So it's a privilege on my anniversary to be with you guys. And my wife was cool with it because you're our family. And the scripture says the Lord settles people in family. You're my family and I'm yours. So let's learn to get along, whether we're low churchers or high churchers, smells and bells folks, or swinging from the chandelier gang, or 19 Bible studies a week gang. Uh-oh, did I say that out loud? Yeah. I once got in a whole lot of trouble. I, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but maybe somebody need to hear this. I once got in a lot of trouble from... Uh, being in a word group. I mean, they were, thus saith the Lord right here in the Bible in this verse. Super proud of it. You know what I said one Sunday? I'm like, we're not having a sermon today because I'm tired of you not doing what the scripture says, so I'm not teaching you anything else. Wow. I had a chat with the elders after that one. They didn't appreciate my approach. It was a little rough, probably. But you get the point here? Let's stop bellying up to the Bible buffet and keep eating until we get bigger and bigger and bigger because we're not doing anything with it and actually get after it. Get out on the adventure. And the adventure is scary. But you know what else is scary? Staying home in your house, watching Netflix, watching the moments of your life slip away while your friends and family have no idea who Jesus is. That's scarier by far. At least for me. Maybe you don't care. I think you probably do or you wouldn't be here. Right? So orient your life around that compass. Maybe you're pretty solid in the word. Maybe you need to encounter more of the spirit. 
Maybe you, learn, you need to learn to be more missional and you need to hang out with some folks like Creo or Pulaski North Star or whatever, you know? We're here for one another to help you. So I get a chance, and it's really cool, to go places where people will listen to me because of the collar. And I also hang with people who wouldn't listen to me if I wore the collar. Which one are you? Aaron and I did this on purpose today to expose some prejudices and some biases that you may have. Maybe you didn't even realize you had. You know how I know that? Because I had them and I had to wrestle through them before I was willing to receive bishops laying hands on me so that I can talk to their people about moving outside of the worship service and becoming residential missionaries. It's the same conversation I have with everybody all the way around the quadrant. So I'm really going to blow your mind now. When I went under duress to get this, and I have a dress too. Okay, a gown, that's what they call it. <laughs> they don't like it when I say that. And I'm, reinfor I'm reinforcing some of your prejudices. Jesus, forgive me. Um, when I went last December, and some of you, I think, saw some of those photos, didn't know what to expect. I was still dealing with my prejudices right up to the very moment that I was kneeling at the communion rail. This is hard for me to talk about. And I had guys with strange attire come and lay hands on me and ask God to help me to step into the next season of fathering and leading and guiding and shepherding the whole people of God, not just their tribe. And then a bunch of them started speaking in tongues. I was like, whoa, what is going on here? Uh, these are Anglicans speaking in tongues? And then one of the archbishops who was there started prophesying at the top of his lungs. It was booming off the inside of the cathedral. I'm like, I don't even have a grid for what's happening here, and I'm charismatic. This is crazy. It's like time stopped. And then afterwards, in this tradition, the newly ordained, it's like my sixth ordination. It's kind of exhausting, actually. <laughs> Everybody's got to put their stamp on your passport. I mean, come on, guys, really? Okay, let's do it. Things I do for love. That doesn't go over too well with my wife when I say that, though. You never said that, did you, Eric? Okay. You serve communion for the first time as a priest. And I'd been a priest before that because I'm part of the, the priesthood of all believers, as are you. You're a priest. But in this tradition, there's a setting aside of those who are fathering the larger group. Okay? In Creole, we have spiritual fathers and mothers, ladies. I've been super uh, encouraged by that who are serving as abbots and abbesses, though they don't use those words, to care for the three to 400 people and organizations that are part of CREO. Did you know it's that big? Nobody does. Because it's this little organic Holy Ghost guerrilla thing that Jesus is doing. And it's been cool to be part of it. But I'm serving communion for the first time. And I swear to you all today, I 
felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. I was watching myself do this, coming out of the shock and awe campaign that the Holy Spirit had just launched and completely carpet-bombed me with. And my Lutheran colleague, I work with Lutherans too. There's Lutherans that love Jesus, gang, okay? He was the first one to the communion rail, and he's looking at me, and his eyes are like this big. I'm like, that's not good. So we finish serving. He goes, dude. So I'm trying to get over there with my gown on. <laughs> Try not to trip on the thing and the big tassel hanging down. He goes, are you okay? I'm like, I don't think so. He's like, I know you're not because I thought you were going to fall over while you were holding the chalice. I said, dude, I thought I was going to fall over while I was holding the chalice. God interrupts us and disturbs us as he calls us out into adventure. Do I, do, did I ever in a million years think I'd be wearing one of these? No, never. But God had other ideas. What ideas does he, has, does he have for you? You don't have to wear a collar. What does he want you to do? Where is your adventure taking you? The wild Jesus who is not content to stay behind the screen where we want to keep him. Every single person in this room wants him to be in the zoo. It takes the Spirit of God to help us move beyond that. And this is a wild adventure, gang. It's wild. And sometimes it's wacky, like I just said, but it's wonderful. There's nothing like it. Now, I have the personality type, some of you are looking at me like this, that's geared towards risk-taking. Is that a surprise for anybody here in this room? I have that personality type, but he's activated it and heightened it and made it holy. And he wants to do that for you too. And whatever you do, you're doing. I love that brother that said he was out installing alarms as a missionary in his community. What are you doing as a missionary in your community? Missionaries are not people that we pay to tell brown people about Jesus. We all are. You are. I am. I just get to tell religious people about Jesus periodically. Like you all. See what, you see what just happened there? You thought I was talking about them and I was talking about you. And me. Because we all live in that place together. Okay? So, when Aaron... That was, all the, that was all the preview and the preface. We got another hour, right, Pastor Charlie? <laughs> Well, I'm going to Gus's Chicken after here. You're all welcome to join me if you want. I, I'm told that that's the place to go in, in Knoxville, that and Mooya Burger. I got Mooya Burger already, so. Um, I asked Aaron what he wanted me to share today, and that was a part of what came out of it. But what he really wanted me to drill down on is rest and abiding in Christ, and they're, in, they're interconnected. And I've got to tell you, um, it's hard for me to rest. It really is. I'm action-oriented. I want to kick butts and take names till I drop. And uh, keep Mike in your prayers. Mike has kicked butt and taken names for a really long time, and he's about ready to drop. And I dropped about six years ago. 
and it took me six months to recover because I didn't learn the lesson that I'm going to share with you. So this is coming out of my own failure, to be perfectly honest. It's also coming out of a Camino experience that I just had over in uh, northern Spain, where I walked for 100 miles with nine other guys in the sweltering heat, up and down mountains, listening to the voice of Jesus. Silence and solitude. Meeting with people along the way, other peregrinos, that's what they call these pilgrims. Remember, we got this pilgrimage theme we're talking about today, who had no idea who God was. Europe is a wasteland, gang. All of the churches are shuttered, vandalized, or museums. And it's happening here, right now. So we need to be able to rest and abide in Christ if we're going to be missionaries, or you are going to flame out and disappear. Like tens, and some statistics say, hundreds and thousands of our brothers and sisters who are in our family are doing right now. They're gone. When you're born again, you're not born again to have a a personal relationship with Jesus. Now I'm really going to push you. You're born again to experience Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in worshiping community. You need those other people around you who are disaster messes. If I was in the black church, which I am periodically, I'd say, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a disaster mess. Go ahead and do that, white people in the room. Thank you, Harry. Now, if that person was your spouse, apologize immediately, okay? But that's probably insincere, so don't do it, okay? Because your spouse knows better than anyone what a disaster mess you really are, with the exception of Father, Son, and Spirit. And here's the thing. He loves you in your disaster mess. Every broken part and piece, even the places you despise. He loves it all. He cherishes it all. And is calling us to give it all to him in response. Okay? So, here we go. If what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel... And let me read it to you. If there's any theology police present, I want to make sure I get this right, okay? Not that I really care, but we've got pretenses to continue to maintain here. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You remember this verse, gang? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm working on the gentle piece. Would you pray for me? I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if I had a dollar for every time I've heard a pastor talk about that, teach on that, preach on that, offer up a podcast on that, uh, I'd be a pretty wealthy man right now. Probably true for you too. So if that... What Jesus says is true, and we believe that the Bible is the word of God and truthful in all that it says, right? So if Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, why is your burden so heavy? Why? We talked yesterday that we're just way too busy and way overscheduled, and I'll let 
father tease that out with you. If you're too busy, you're too busy and you need to do something about it. Maybe you don't need to make as much money as you think you do to support your lifestyle. Streamline, simplify, and have some joy and peace and people at your table where you cannot have to microwave a dinner gathering in 37 minutes or less. Preaching to myself here again. I've got five major leadership functions I have in five different tribes. And I'm getting ready to kick a couple to the curb. They're not going to like it, but Jesus told me to, and that's what I'm going to have to do. What do you need to kick to the curb? What do you need to do to simplify your life so you can actually hear the voice of God and love your neighbor? Here's some trail hints, okay? Because all of life is about climbing. So on a Camino, there's some important parts, all right? So you might want to write this down. On this walk, because that's what Camino means, right? Um, When someone comes apart to do this, and it starts in Paris and ends in St. James Compostela, it's like 1,300 kilometers. I didn't do that. I didn't have that kind of time or money, to be honest. So I did 100, but... This is what had to happen for this Camino to come off. You ready? I had to leave where I lived, my bubble. I had to get out of my bubble, and you have a bubble. I had to join a band of other pilgrims. I had to establish community with people I didn't know. And for some of us, that's anxiety-producing. Because we like the people that we like and we really don't like hanging out with other people that we don't know. Listen, if you don't hang out with anybody you don't know, you never get to meet anybody you don't know. Well, what a, what a light bulb that was, huh? So you've got to meet up with people you don't know for a specific task, which in this case was doing the, this walk together, right? Which in turn requires a specific focus This is your can-do. Now, one of the guys that I went on Camino with was really heavy. Probably almost 100 pounds overweight. And every morning, this is hot, this is for somebody here today. Every morning he'd get up and he told himself he couldn't do it. I watched him go through this routine every morning. So he wanted to throw a lot of his stuff away that was in his pack. Because when you're on Camino, you got a pack and your whole life is in your pack. And it shouldn't weigh more than 10% of your body weight. So I'm running about 225 these days. That's not my fighting weight. That's my wife's cooking weight. That's 22 and a half pounds. That's not very much if you've got to bring all of your gear. And listen, gang, water weighs a lot. And you get thirsty on the trail. Come back to that in a minute. You got to make sure your backpack isn't too heavy. Those of us who are in the military know that, right, bro? Uh, many times I just took stuff. I, I didn't want to carry it. I just threw it in the woods. I threw ammunition in the woods. Don't tell my CO I did that. The feds will be coming after me. I'm not carrying all this stuff. Throw it in the wood line. In, a, in Camino, you walk down this... I mean, some of these roads are ancient. They're like from the time of Jesus almost, that the Romans, Julius Caesar was over there and built these things. And I'm walking down them. I'm like, 
Whoa, Knoxville, 1791. Wow, we're pretty old over here. How about 2,000 years ago? It's blowing my mind. And there's debris littering the side. Because people were so exhausted, they just reached into their pack and chucked things down along the way so that they could finish the trail, even if it was just for the day. So you need to make sure that you manage your pack well. That's the next piece here. You've got a pack representing your life and you need to manage it well or it will burden you down and you will fall out and become a casualty. So my overweight friend every morning, you know what he said to himself? I'm gonna be a casualty. And he defeated himself before he even left. So guess what? What do you think happened? We started together, we ended together. But he didn't carry his gear for very much of that trip. Guess who had to carry part of his gear? This guy. And before you start patting me on the back, it was penance. Because I wanted to throw him off a cliff a couple times. <laughs> Slowing us down. And in that moment, the Lord said, you despise weakness in other human beings. That's a problem. And then he said, and he, he does this sometimes, isn't it inconvenient? He'll say something, then he'll drill a little deeper. And then once you've adjusted to that, he'll drill a little deeper. And he keeps going deeper with it. And you're like, we're deep enough already. I feel like I'm drowning. Please, no more. You despise weakness in other human beings. Underneath that, and more importantly, you despise weakness in yourself. And then we went from there to, you can show kindness to other people in their weakness. Why can't you show that to yourself? I don't need you guys to run me through the ringer or call me a liberal on, in the blogosphere. I do a much better job than any of you all could do internally. And you can't run your race well. You can't carry your ruck well if you're constantly beating the hell out of yourself along the way. And that's what my friend was doing every morning. It was egregious. It was soul-wrenching. And I actually started feeling bad after I got past the fact that I wanted to throw him off a cliff. So he's like, I can't carry this anymore. And it took me back to Camp Lejeune. And we, I don't know, you were an officer, so you probably didn't have to carry any packs. You just went in the truck, bro, right? <laughs> That's a little enlisted humor. We got that going on. I carried people's packs back then. And there were times when somebody had to carry mine. So I felt like the Lord said to me, you need to carry his pack for a while, and you and I are going to talk. So I did. I didn't like it, but it was a crucible event where I was learning more. I was becoming more self-aware along the trail. So let's talk about being more self-aware right now as we move towards the end of our conversation. So just to recap, okay? Coming apart, joining a band of other pilgrims, or in this case, church members or microchurch members for a specific task which requires a specific focus so that life change will occur. All of those things I walked you through are prerequisites to life change. So let's talk about transformational tips along the trail, okay? And I'm going to give them to you a shotgun blast here real quick, and then we'll talk about them a little bit, and then we're going to move into an exercise, okay? And then we'll be done. So this, this thing, 
this is going to help you. So if you're going to hike, we have any hikers in here? We've got the Smokies, right? Quite a few of you. Yep. I, you know, the, the first mountain that we had to climb out of the gate was the worst one. I was telling Eric and Kim about this. You know, when we trained up to the beginning place, uh, the stepping off point, the, I didn't understand any Spanish. All my high school Spanish is gone decades ago. Um, but the cabbie who took us from where the train dropped us off to far, hard, farther up, I, I should have known better at that point in time. He asked our guide where we were going. I, I ascertained that. And our guide told him, he laughed nervously and crossed himself three times. I went, oh, man, I don't need to be a linguist to know that ain't good. So the guide started laughing hysterically, and he didn't say anything. So we get, hit the trail, and there's this mountain that's like this. I'm like, and I see some of these old 50, 60, 70-year-old guys. Some of them had some stuff hanging down over the belt, and they're looking at like, if this whole thing's like this, is it too late to tap out? And everybody climbed up it. It took a while. Listen, gang, you can do more than you think you can with enough water, enough hydration, and rest. If you need to rest, then do so. A lot of us here are suffering from restlessness and a lack of abiding in Christ because we're exhausted from all of our activity. So until you learn this lesson, your exhaustion will remain with you in perpetuity. So I'm trying to learn this. So this is fresh manna uh, from my own situation. So if you're going to hike up that mountain, and we found out later what the locals called it, the first word is a curse word, and the second word is breaker. That's what they call it. And I know why now. Some of you feel like you're hiking up a mountain like that right now. Here's some things you can do to improve your experience on the trail. Are you ready? The first is to hydrate. My buddy in the back there, again, I'm assuming they did this for officers too. Drink 12 canteens of water a day, my drill instructor used to say. That's a lot of water. Well, when you're out in the sun and you're active all the time, you need a lot of water because you're going through a lot of water, right? So in the, in the spiritual realm, in this walk that we have, what is the water? It's the living water, right? Jesus, right? And Jesus shows us that the well of the Father's love is open to us. It's not a water buffalo parked out behind the barracks that you get filthy tasting water out of. It's actually the sweetest and most refreshing drink that you can have. Father's love for you. We've got to camp out in that place. We've got to receive that from him. We've got to believe that he loves us without precondition, without performative antics, which doers are accustomed to. As we say, we believe that God loves us apart from our works, but then on the other side of encountering Jesus, we start working and working and working and working so he'll love us. I'm going to say something controversial right now. God doesn't love you any more when you obey than when you disobey. Sit with that for a minute. It's on E, all, excuse not on E. Some of us feel like it's on E. 
Can you believe that Aaron ran out of gas the day of the... That's ridiculous. I am never going to let him live that down. Some of us feel like we're on E in our encounter with God's love. And I want to tell you something. Here's the truth. It's always full. When you're naughty, it doesn't drip, dip down. It's full all the time. Not based on your performance. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Drink deeply from that well, gang. And that'll help you on your journey. Find a ranger buddy. Or a battle buddy. I had to use the army terminology because I think we got at least one army person in here. So I wanted to make sure I was an equal opportunity offender. Find an, a ranger buddy, a partner. We don't do anything in the military by ourselves. And in the Christian life, you should not be doing anything by yourself. You know why? Because that's exactly what the adversary wants. Because he will kill you. I can't tell you how many people... I don't have one person I went to seminary with that's still in ministry. Every single one of them has been a casualty of some kind or another. And there but the grace of God go I, because I should have been one on numerous occasions, but was able to dodge a bullet because of Jesus and my wife and friends like Eric. Don't do it alone. Uh, You guys know I'm enamored with Celtic spirituality. Well, there's this term called anam kera. It's ancient Celtic expression meaning soul friend. In our contemporary culture, the idea of your soulmate, you know, we hear that in Hollywood all the time. So good looking and wonderful to me. I've found my soulmate. You know where that comes from? This anam kera concept. God is your anam kera. He is your friend. But you also need to find somebody on the horizontal to walk through life's bruising battles so that you'll stand or else you'll get killed and I don't want to see anyone here in here get killed spiritually speaking you can't do it alone you can't even do it with your spouse you need somebody same gender now I'm not one of those weird complementarian gospel coalition guys if I had just offended anyone I'm sorry you need somebody who's the same gender as you so that your wife doesn't have to bear, or your husband doesn't have to bear up under a load of crap that they don't understand in any way, shape, or form. Ladies, I am married 29 years today, and in some ways, I don't understand Maria any better now than I did then. She is mysterious and wonderful and infuriating. So that's why I need Kirk to help me out. He's like, dude, pull your head out of your rear end. Get sorted. You're acting like a jerk. And then I, you know, fellas, have you had a friend tell you something that your wife's told you and you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's right on. And your wife's like, are you kidding me? I've been telling you that for three and a half years. You need an Anam Kara to get you sorted, as the Brits say. So ladies, you know, the, I mean, Mike talked about loneliness being an epidemic, right? It is. Here's a, here's a deeper problem. This is the reason why loneliness is an epidemic. It used to be that the majority of American men didn't have one person they called their friend. You don't believe me? Google it. Now, the average American woman, 
the majority of them don't have one friend. So we're existing in a, in a pandemic state of loneliness without any friends. Does that sound like a good idea? So as the church, in whatever expression that you're in, we've got to show them a better way. And sometimes, like Mike said yesterday, well, I said be a normal human being. That was like the precursor. Don't have, you don't have to be some religious, weird person. Just be a human being that shows kindness and care for others. That's all they're looking for. And trust God with the outcome. And Mike said, maybe we should be less worried about calling things church or church activity. Instead, why don't you come over and hang with some friends? That's kind of what Jesus did. And for those of you who are new to microchurch, can you please, 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 public service announcement, don't ask one pre-Christian friend to come over and hang out with you and your 15 super spiritual microchurch members. You know why? Because they'll never come back. Why don't you ask one of your weird, religious Christian friends to come hang out with 15 pre-Christian people and stretch your religious friend so they get activated. Can't tell you how many times, I mean, even this week, with my little loop that I've been doing with different people that I'm trying to encourage, they're like, our micro church isn't working. I'm like, why? And they told me all the right things and they'd gone to all the right conferences. And then they said, yeah, it's just basically church people. We went to church together before in a different expression. Um, and we don't really have any pre-Christian people involved. I'm like, how, how, how is that a microchurch? That sounds like mini-attractional or mini-traditional or mini-whatever. Mike walked us through that tool yesterday. Did you catch it about having the party and then seeing who God's at work in and inviting them into actual Christian conversation? You can talk about... Jesus is okay with you talking about other things than him. Did anybody need to hear that today? And then you see who is emerging to be part of your covenant community, whatever you call that. It's really that simple. So you can't have parties if you don't have any time. Here we go back to that again. When I used to do church revitalization projects, the first thing I would always do, and it always got me in trouble with all the religious people, is I would clear the calendar of the 19 meetings every week that I was supposed to be at. There's no time to, to love your family or love your neighbor if you're at church all the time. Clear out your calendar. And here's the problem. You know why, Pastor? I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret here. Ladies, go easy. I'm not going to drop any F-bombs. It's going to be okay. This is why pastors don't do it. We all know we should, but we don't because we think it's better for you to be in the church building and hanging out with church people than us clearing the calendar out so you can fill it up with all the crap that you shouldn't be doing anyways. So better you waste time in God's house than waste, waste time in the world. Does either of that sound like a good plan? Uh-uh. So why don't we strip it down so we can hang out, see where Jesus is moving, chase the wild goose, and live on the adventure. Okay, hydrate, find a ranger, buddy. Manage your ruck. We've already talked about that. You've got to be careful what you're carrying. How much weight are you carrying today? Some of you have been weighed down. Some of it came out in the prayer room. 
It was obvious. God exposed it in a kind and gentle way because that's how he is. That's the kind of dad he is. And he's saying to you, son, daughter, you're carrying too much today. Set it down. Leave it by the side of the trail. Don't carry it any longer. More on that in a minute. Take nourishment on board. That means eat. If you're not taking protein, you're going to be exhausted. You're not going to have what you need. You've got to drink water for sure, but you've got to have calories on board for the actual physical exertion. So for us, spiritually speaking, what, are, what, is, what does nourishment look like? And since we're in this room, I'm not going to ask, because you'd all say the same thing, the Bible. Nope. Not exclusively. Like the spiritual disciplines, does anybody know anything about any of those? I never learned that in my church growing up. How about silence? When was the last time you closed your pie hole? As my drill instructor used to say. It was a little bit more colorful when he said it. When was the last time you stopped talking and started listening to other human beings and to God? You know why we talk so much? It's because we're insecure and we don't know what we need to do. When I'm in a room with professional talkers, I know exactly what's going on. They're showing me their cards. And the older I get, because I was one, the less I say. I didn't even want to say as much as I said yesterday. I wanted Mike and Aaron to share what they had, but they made me do it. Try listening and stop talking so you can hear the voice of God and you can hear what your spouse really needs and you can hear what your friends need from you and proceed accordingly. How about solitude? When was the last time you were alone? That time in Spain was the first time I have been alone in probably two and a half years. And that's humiliating to admit to you right now. When was the last time you were alone for extended periods of time? You know why we don't do it? You know why we're not quiet, we don't go apart? Is because when we do that, all of the things that we're constantly suppressing and pushing down rise to the surface. And the Holy Spirit saying, hey, remember this stuff? I want to help you with this. And we go, oh, got to turn, get back on my phone, turn on my stereo so I can stuff it and medicate. We medicate ourselves with busyness and with noise. And God's saying, come into the deep place. Take on some nourishment for your soul and be with me. Establish a cadence. In the military, we had a cadence. That's how we marched. You have a cadence to your life, too. And some of your cadences sound like this. How long could we march if we were doing that, bro, at double time? Not long. And this is what God's cadence for your life should sound like. That's a sustainable pace. So if you're overscheduled and over busy, if you're living on six shots of espresso, 
Guilty as charged this morning, got three hours of sleep. It's not sustainable. You're going to crash and burn. I was telling, I don't know who I was telling, but my brother-in-law developed a heart condition from pounding those monster energy drinks like cans of Diet Coke. But lest we cast stones at him, don't we do the same thing? You have to have a sustainable cadence. So I thought that the TSA folks were going to uh, confiscate my walking sticks, my poles, right? You ever seen those things that the hikers use? I always rebelled against getting one because it looked like I was going to be old if I went with those, right? I'm telling you, there's a reason why hikers use them. They give you leverage. They increase the functional effectiveness of your hike by 18 to 20%. So I just bought some cheap ones when I got over there. They weren't fancy. They cost me six euros for two. Score! <laughs> REI, they were $129 each. I'm on a pastor's salary. I can't afford that. Come on, y'all. I'll hold the hat out when you go out. You can put some money in it if you want to. Help a brother. So because they were so cheap, they didn't have all the doodads and the whistles and the ergonomics and the nice felt tip on the bottom of them. They clacked like a woman's high-heeled shoe. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to be good. And sure enough, every single one of the guys had to comment about it. So I just took a dandelion and put it behind my ear and just walked my walk, gang. <laughs> got to take some joy, man. You got you to keep giving back. But you know what? I couldn't hear them, but they could hear me. Can other people hear the cadence of your life? And of course they can, because you're clacking like stiletto heels for someone, your kids, your spouse, your neighbors. What kind of cadence are you running at? Sustainable, unsustainable. Let your land navigation skills lead you. So here I was, little story here, here I was in Spain. I flew from Miami to Madrid. Didn't sleep a wink. It was like 12 hours to get over there. It was ridiculous. I just get on heightened alert when I get in the plane, man. I'm sorry. I just got to watch everybody, see what's going on. Residual from the past, I guess. So I got there with my eyes like this. Who am I? What's my name? I can't speak your language. Help me. I got there, foreign country couldn't speak the language, and I had to start the Camino. And they told us not to use our phones, and I didn't have a map. Some of you control people are cringing already. But you know what they did have? They had a little yellow arrow about that size. Some of them were a little larger, periodically along the trail on the back of a speed limit sign, on a guardrail, on the daggum cement on the road, and you had to be attentive to see them. So here I am, walking by myself, clackety, 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 clack. Nobody around, silence and solitude, no map, no phone, no GPS, going, Jesus, you gotta get me through this. It reminded me of Hebrews. He's gone before us and marked out the way. Somebody had gone before and marked out all 1,300 kilometers with these little weird yellow signs. 
if you're struggling today, I want to reassure you and be your friend, maybe even your pastor for a moment. Look for the yellow arrows. They're there. And the wild goose is going to help you to find them. But you've got to trust him. You can't get your GPS out and try to double-check Jesus. You know what happened when I, the one time I did get my GPS out? I had just landed. I'd flown from Madrid to San Sebastian up in the very northeastern corner to get ready. And uh, went to the wrong bus stop. The heavens opened up, and within 30 seconds, I was completely drenched because I couldn't get my poncho out in time. <laughs> this is turning into a really bad day, gang. And then I got to the right bus stop, and the guy pulled up, older fellow. I said, habla inglés, and he went, mm-hmm. I went, oh, no. So then I pulled my phone out, and I showed it to him, and he's looking at it going, like he's never seen a cell phone in his life before. I'm like, oh, this is really not good. And so I'm, I'm trying to say the name of the town that I want to go to. And he goes, like, get on the bus. Like, he doesn't understand a word I'm saying, but get on the bus. I'm like, all right, Jesus, here we go. So I got on the bus. He starts driving in the exact opposite direction. <laughs> I had like, gang, I had like a full-blown caffeine-accelerated, sleep-deprived panic attack at that moment. I'm like, that's it. I'm gone. They're going to harvest my organs somewhere. (laughs) He's going the exact wrong direction. But within about five minutes, he swung around. There was a couple of bus stops that he had to hit first and started going in the right direction. Another 30 minutes. I'm like, 30 minutes on the map? It says it's like five miles. And he had to stop and stop and stop and stop. All these people are getting on. They crowd me out like he can't see me in the the little bus driver mirror. I'm like, this guy's going to forget I'm on the bus. And we're driving and driving and driving, and I'm trying to do breathing exercises. Adrenaline's pumping. Epinephrine's going at atomic rate, you know. And he pulls up to this, like, old bench by the side of the road. And then he looks out like he's looking for the crazy gringo. He sees me, he goes, I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> There's a point to this story. I get off, I'm panicking. Now, for me, it was panicking. You guys probably wouldn't even notice any difference in my demeanor, but in my interior state, I'm like, this is not good. So I turned my phone on, my GPS. It said, go left, go left, go left, left, left. So I'm, I'm, Right by the edge of town, it sends me to the far edge of town. And then it goes, go right, go right, go right. And I'm going up. It sends me all the way back to where I began, and the hotel was one block over. <laughs> I did 10 miles before the, the Camino even started. I'm getting them sweat drenched. I got this backpack on. I'm like, stupid Siri, computers are not God, gang. And if I just looked for the seashell or the arrow, I would have been like, oh, there it is, one block over. Trust the yellow arrow that Jesus has laid down for your life. Okay? So let your land navigation skills lead you. Maybe you need to improve your land nav skills. If you're a boot at Paris Island, you have to learn land nav. And when you're a new Christian, you have to learn how to hear the voice of God and trust what he says. And then lastly, stop for regular rest. 
listen to your body. So our guide, he's from Denver, so I'm like, can anything good come out of Denver? As the scripture says. I mean, super new agey, crunchy granola, everybody's from California, you know, all the stereotypes. He's like, brother, you just got to listen to your body. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm, I'm walking on the Camino, and I felt like the Lord said, you have treated your body as an adversary to be dominated for a long, long time. And because it can't do what it used to, you feel betrayed, and it depresses you. Why don't you change your perspective? And son of a gun, if he didn't say the same thing that that hippie told me. Listen to your body. Your body's telling you, somebody needs to hear this today. If your body's telling you that you're traveling too fast, you need to slow down. If your spirit is screaming that you're overloaded and burdened and too busy, you need to clear out your calendar. Listen to your body, because it's your friend. And that was like a radical reorientation of how I view the incarnated spirituality that God has given me. That doesn't mean be lazy. It just means, listen, if you got an ache or a pain, why do you have it? Do you have a blister on your foot? Did you not take your heart medicine, Grandpa? I don't know. Your, bi- your body is going to tell you what you need to know. Okay? So those are, your, those are your seven trail habits. Now, grab your white piece of paper. Here's the coup de grace. And what I want to ask you to do here is to take your white piece of paper. May I use yours, Eric? Thank you, brother. And fold it in half. This is going to make all the engineers in the room happy. Take your piece of paper, fold it in half. If you don't have a piece of paper or a writing implement, just raise your hand and we'll get you sorted. I've got some extra computer paper, courtesy of the Chandlers. Bless their hearts. Is that what you all say down here in the South? Or is that not a good thing to say? Okay. No, it's good. All right. Trying to contextualize ministry here. So once you've folded it in half, uh uh-oh, there's some people in the back who need some paper. If you need a piece of paper or pens, Eric's going to come around. Just raise your hand. He'll give you one. So once you've folded this in half, okay, those of you who are humanities majors, I'm going to make this really complicated. Fold it in half again. Um, I want you to picture, I was going to ask somebody to, uh, Charlie, is that your backpack right there? It is. Can I have it, bro? Not to keep, don't worry. <laughs> you don't need to empty it quite yet. Uh, no, no, it's going to wreck my clerical attire, dude. Get out of here. Charlie's the best, isn't he? So this thing's been well used and well served and well loved. So all of you, I want you to picture this as a kind of, we call this a visualization exercise in the coaching world. This is what you're carrying on your back. But it's got a lot more stuff than what Charlie's got in his. So I want you to picture, close your eyes if you need to. Um, I don't care how you do it, just do it, please. So you can get maximum utility out of this. Picture you on a hike 
up that first mountain I described. And the prophet Isaiah speaks of our lives leading us up the mountain of the Lord. So all of your life is a climb, gang. And you've got to have a backpack. And then your backpack is everything that you need. And then there's all the other stuff that you're carrying also. So let's enter in here together. You're climbing. For those of you who never climbed, think about the TV show you were watching when you were not climbing, where somebody else was climbing. Picture this in your mind. Muscles burning. Feet throbbing. Back aching. Soaked with perspiration from the effort that is, has taken and is taking as you seek to climb up this very steep ascent. Feel your inside of your mouth, your tongue being dry, like bone dry. Maybe the thirstiest you've ever been in your life. Visualize that right now. Keep climbing. The guide disappears around a corner, one of the precipices. Maybe that's causing you anxiety. Maybe you're one of those kind of people that needs to see everything unfold. And as you come around the precipice, there's a place to sit down. Sit yourself down with Jesus. Take your pack off. Put it on the ground. Take a drink of water. Hydrate. Take your boots off. Unlace them slowly. Take out a protein bar and begin to eat it. Feel your body begin to unwind. The tension coming out of your shoulder, both shoulders and your neck. The burning sensation in your back lessening the sweat drying. Swallow a couple of times now that you have some water in your body. Look around. What does it look like as you sit there with Jesus? What trees do you see? Flowers do you see? What do you hear? Now look at your backpack, stuffed to overflowing. 
Open it up, the buckle or the drawstring, however it's cinched or secured. Open it all the way up on tap, on top, and pull the flap back so you can see everything inside, or at least what's on top. Now grab it by the bottom and turn it upside down. Spill everything out all over the ground. What's in your backpack? What jobs are you currently carrying? What relationships are you in vital union with? Spouse, children, grandchildren, Anamkara, parents, or maybe you don't have any relationships. Maybe you have ruptured relationships and you're carrying those around. A previous marriage, a dysfunctional child, a parent who's disinherited you. Now your possessions, your house, your cars, maybe you got three or four, your boat, your second home. How about your responsibilities? Father, husband, mother, wife, parent, business owner, community leader. All of these things are in your backpack. And now they're out on the ground. Go ahead and write those things down that you're looking at in the upper left quadrant of your paper. Anything that came to mind while I was narrating and walking you through that, write those things down in that upper left-hand quadrant. What's in your backpack? And some of you are going to need to write small because you got a whole lot in there. Just bullet points. You don't need to write a book, just bullet points. Boom, boom, boom. Let's take a couple minutes to do that. Once you're done writing, ask the Spirit to highlight maybe some things that you missed on your first pass-through and see what else might manifest and write those things down. So again, what are you carrying in your backpack? What possessions, relationships, vocations, responsibilities... What's in there? What brokennesses? What idolatries are you carrying? What are you medicating yourself with?
this will only be as helpful as honest as you are with yourself. Who are you trying to please? Maybe you need to write that down too. Okay. Again, type A folks, you can always go back to this, okay? In the name of Jesus, it's all right. Now, in the right hand top quadrant, we're gonna get ready for stage two. So as you look at all of the things that you just wrote down, picture yourself, again, by the trailhead or the scenic overlook, wherever you were with Jesus in the visualization, and sort that out into two piles. Something you want to keep with you or something that you wanna throw away by the side of the road Maybe it'll help some other peregrino. Or maybe it's garbage that just needs to be left behind to molder and dissipate and go away. What do you need to leave behind? Ask the Holy Spirit that. That's not your determination, that's His. Let's do that together. Look at your list. What do you want to leave behind? Because you can't carry all that weight, gang. I don't know what's in your ruck, but I know that's true. What are you leaving behind? What's God calling you to release? Now on the other side of that upper right-hand square, picture yourself picking things up off the ground that you need and putting them back in your pack. These are key relationships you need for the next season. Essential possessions, whatever that may be. Look at your list and picture yourself putting those things back into the pack of your life while Jesus looks on and encourages you to do so. Remember that water we talked about? That's the Father's affection for you. You can't go anywhere without water, gang. Let's fill up in our, our camelbacks right now. There's a water spigot right there. Picture yourself receiving God's affection right now. Pick up your trail rations and put those back in. Those are the practices that you need to establish a cadence and maintain your joy. What habits of the heart do you need to continue? And again, this is not aspirational. This is what you're actually doing. 
Church people love aspirational. No. What do you have in your pack? What's blessing you? What's encouraging you? What's refreshing you that you need in the next season? Write those things down. All right, we've got our, we've got our ruck reconfigured. All of the essentials are back in. Boy, it looks like it's half the weight that it used to be. Maybe we're approaching 20% of our body weight. Now look at that pile of garbage you left behind on your paper. Don't ever go backwards and pick that up. You're destined for the summit. And you can't do it by yourself. This is something that you need to rehearse with the Spirit, maybe even on a daily basis. Because you're going to want to go back. We're all built that way. You can't carry it anymore. Leave it behind. Now, in the third quadrant, which is the lower left-hand side, what are you lacking? What do you need for this next season in your journey? And by way of introduction... Um, I've been so busy. I've got to give my wife some props here because it's our anniversary. Just take a minute. Just pause. Some of you have been doing some heavy-duty reflection here. We're going to lighten it up, some levity. Um, My wife uh, has known that my op tempo has been uh, almost to the red line. So what she did to minister to me is that while I was doing a prayer training for six local churches in South Florida, the morning I was supposed to leave... That night, I did not, I was really uh, feeling a lot of pressure that I wasn't going to have time to properly prepare and pack appropriately. You know what she did? She did it for me. And she did a great job. You know, she traveled with me when I was in the military, so she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's doing even even apart from that, that's for sure. She's a rock star. I wake up every morning, I'm like, oh, girl, you're still here. Praise the Lord Jesus. So she packed my gear, ziplocked everything. Bro, it was, it was pristine. It was awesome. And I looked at it, and I went through, and I was thinking about how much weight I was going to carry. And to be honest, you know, I'm not 18 anymore, gang. I just turned 50. Like, I am not going to be able to carry all of this. What can I leave behind? Right? So I left my fleece behind. I left my sleeping bag liner behind. And I left some extra rations behind. And guess what? I needed all of that stuff on the trail. She was right, and I was wrong, and I told her so after I got back and froze my rear end off and went hungry a couple of days, at least until we got to the albergue at night. What are you lacking? Maybe it's a fleece, the spiritual equivalent. Maybe it's extra rations. Maybe it's more water. What do you need to walk through your next season with Jesus? Ask the Holy Spirit and then write those things down.
you need something, gang. Again, I don't know what your individual journey looks like, but you're lacking something, and I know that Papa wants to give it to you. What do you need? Deeper encounter with his love? Finances? A friend? A regular connection with the people of God, whatever that looks like? I don't know, but he knows, and he's going to help you to know right now. Okay, here's the last one. And with this, we're wrapping our time up together. This might be the most mission-critical piece of it. Period. Where are you discerning God taking you going forward? might come out of reflection of something you heard yesterday. Maybe this morning. Maybe it's something burbling or coming up in your spirit and has been for weeks. I don't know. Where is God taking you? Vocationally. As a missionary. Whatever he's been speaking, ask him to clarify it right now and write those things down. Not where do you want to go, where is he taking you? Sometimes those coincide, sometimes they don't. Another way of looking at at that is what hopes and dreams and passions has he planted within you that you want to step into with with extra vigor and ardor and passion and purpose. For the glory of God, the advance of his kingdom, and for your joy. God wants you to be holy and happy. They're not mutually exclusive. That's a both and. Maybe one more minute, and then we're going to button it up. Maybe you don't have any hopes today for the future. Ask God to give you some, and he will. Don't just tread water, gang. Life is precious. Your time is a gift. And we need you in the fight. Because there's things that only you can do that no one else can. And every nook and cranny of your life is important to God. There's no small potatoes in the kingdom. Somebody heard that in the prayer room yesterday. You are important to the outworking of the restoration of all things. Because the last time I read Revelation, Jesus said he was making all things new. And you're part of that. What's your part? Okay, if this was a school test and I was the teacher, I'd say, put your pens down now. Did you like that, Charlie? 
I taught junior high school for a few years. That's why I'm as scarred and battle-weary as I am, man. (laughs) One of the things that happened to me along the way is we stopped at a monastery. And at the end of the night, after the services of the day were held and our communal meal was shared, and we've had a communal meal together over this last 24 hours as we feasted together on the goodness of God and the sweetness of the fellowship that we've enjoyed with Him and with one another, after all of that was done, there was a compline at the end of which the abbot, that's a, that means the last worship service of the day, gang, for liturgical people. The abbot, the old man who was in charge of the monastery that, and the chapel in it was from the 13th century, He said, anyone who would like to come up for a blessing as you walk your journey out, please do so. So as I was preparing for this exercise for you all, I think I want to invite you to do the same. You don't have to stand up, raise your hand, do anything like that. If you desire to receive this blessing, just internalize it. And if you don't care, good on you, as they say in northern Maine. But I think somebody needs to hear this today. One of my gigs is I serve as an abbot too. So let me father you right now and speak these words over your life. As you ascend your mountain in the places where God's planted you, carrying the backpack that contains all of the things that you've processed so that you'll be filled with joy and accomplish the purposes that he has for you. God of life, we are thankful for this pilgrimage that you have called us upon. This is a journey that is not measured in distance, but in personal transformation. We give, this, we give thanks for this journey and for the people that we are journeying with. We thank you that you have given us a new identity, that you have instilled within us kingdom capacities giftings and anointings as we step into more of our destiny this day, now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.